Good morning, church. It's always wonderful to, uh, to be together, to sit and worship with one another, and to, just to hear what God's Word has to say. And I'm so thankful to be with everyone here this morning, uh, especially as we use January to focus uh, uh, and remind ourselves what Scripture has to say about prayer and what prayer means to the believer. And I recognize that guess the past several weeks, I know a lot of my introductions, I've talked a lot about movies that I've watched, but I promise I'm not talking about any movies this morning. Uh, But the other night, Amy and I were watching Parks and Rec, a TV show (laughs) on Netflix, and it's it's one of our favorite shows. It's one of those shows where whenever you can't figure out what to watch, we go back and like, well, let's watch that again. And so we keep going back to these characters because we feel like we relate to them so much. But one of the episodes that we watched the other night, the main character, Leslie Nope, is running for city council. And so she's on the the local campaign campaign trail, just trying to to win over the the voters in her district. And her opponent, Bobby Newport, his father has just passed away. And so they make up this plan to go and, and extend sympathy and compassion toward Bobby but they're actually trying to do it in, in such a way that they can gain political favor. They're, they're, trying, they're going to leak the information so that way the public knows that they're going to send condolences. And because they're trying to do it in this manner, it backfires horrendously. It is, it's to the point where they're accidentally driving over the memorial service photograph of, of the father with the, her campaign bus. I mean, it, it, it's, it, it's just ridiculousness upon ridiculousness of how horrible it goes. But then later, she goes back to apologize, but this time she's going in humility. She admits, I messed up, and she goes to share heartfelt compassion And her opponent, Bobby Newport, doesn't just thank her, but publicly praises her, brings her up with him, and embraces her, telling telling the audience that they should love her as well. In both instances, she was trying to express compassion. But the first was trying to gain some kind of favor. It was trying to win people over, but ended up making her look even worse. But the second time, she was humbled, and she came with her head low, and she was both embraced and celebrated because of how she came forward. And in a humorous comparison, this is similar to what we see in this passage in Luke. This is a parable contrasting two men and their prayers, how they approach it the Lord in their prayer, and Jesus uses this parable to describe the type of prayer that pleases God. Last week, the passage showed that prayer should be consistent, that the believer should pray often, but when we read this week's passage, I would argue that Christian prayer should be characterized by humility. 
And I'll say that again for the the note-taking folk out there, but Christian prayer should be characterized by humility, that this should be the manner that we approach God with our prayer, that we are not coming trying to win Him over, but that we are coming in humility. And as we examine this parable, we'll, we'll unpack the hearts of both of these men who were contrasted by Jesus. The first, a heart that is motivated by merit. He's focusing on his own efforts. The first is a man who is motivated by merit. The second is a heart motivated by mercy. So we, we see two men, one who has a heart motivated by merit, the other a heart motivated by mercy. And before I go any further, let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, God, we thank You for Your goodness to us. We thank You that You are a God who hears the prayers of Your people. And so, as we come together this morning to see what Your Word has to say to us, and specifically about how we approach You with our prayer, God, we pray that you would speak to us through your word, that this would not just be my, my thoughts, my, my musings, my ideas, but God, I pray that you would use a broken man like myself to speak your gospel truth, that your spirit would speak through me to show your mercy and your grace and your compassion to your people. God, use this time to build up your church. And I pray this in the mighty name of Christ. Amen. Now, as I already said, we're using the month of January to to focus our hearts and minds collectively on prayer and what Scripture has to say about prayer. Last week, again, we focused on the when of prayer, and we saw that Scripture says that prayer should be consistent, prayer should be often, pray without ceasing. This week, we're examining the motivation behind prayer. And just before this passage that we're looking at this morning, the Pharisees had approached Jesus and asking, when is the coming of the Lord? If you're, if you're coming talking about the coming kingdom of God, when's He coming? Give us a hint. Give us a clue. What's going on? And Jesus says, it's not going to be announced. There aren't going to be giant flashing signs saying, here comes God. Get ready. And because of that, be in prayer consistently, persistently. And in fact, he tells this parable challenging the Pharisees to examine their own hearts. And he starts, and we read in verse 9, he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Jesus already knew their hearts. He knew that their prayers were not in adoration of God, but that they were trying to lift themselves up. And so he used this parable as a mirror to reflect their own spirituality back on them. And the first person in the parable is characterized with a heart motivated by merit. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like the other men, 
extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. He specifically uses two men in this parable that are very well known in the culture. A Pharisee who is a well-known, respected, religious leader in the community. And a tax collector, often a Jew working for the Roman government who is despised within the community. And he's contrasting these two men, focusing on the one who is supposed to be this respected leader in the community. And he looks at his prayer He says, God, I thank you that I am not like other men. He starts by sounding thankful, but it's a false thankfulness. He's not actually thanking God for any of the blessings that God has given him. He's, He's thanking God out of his pride and out of his arrogance. He says, God, thank you that I'm not like those guys over there. Those guys are are horrible people. Those guys are screw-ups. Those are the the scum of our culture. And God, thank you that I'm not them. He's not thanking God for anything that God has done or who He is, but He's comparing Himself to the faults of others, to the standing of others. God, thank you that I am not them. He is basing His holiness not in relation to Himself and God, but he's basing his holiness on how he stands compared to these other people. And you might not phrase it like the Pharisee explicitly does here, but your heart is quick to do the same. It usually begins with a phrase, something similar to, I would never. Well, did you hear about Matt having that affair? I would never. You know, Susan and her addiction problem, I would never. You hear about the neighbors having to call the cops on that domestic abuse case? I would never. We're quick to be like the Pharisee in our own heart, and we, we use this false pride of trying to build ourselves up by comparing ourselves to the fault of others, especially in our uh, wonderful social media climate where everyone is so quick to share their opinions as biblical truth. I see the, the two things that I see in constant repetition on Facebook. No Christian could ever vote Democrat because of what that party supports. But then I also see no Christian could ever vote for Trump because of the things that he's done. So I'm seeing people who are trying to sincerely promote their faith in comparison to a man-made political system. In fact, I have one friend on Facebook who goes so far as to say that he believes that any Christian who votes in a specific way should be placed under church discipline because he feels that that is not godly enough. And this is someone that I respect, but at the same time I'm concerned because he's placing his emphasis on others, other people's holiness and understanding of scriptural application into how they are voting in an American political system. Don't get me wrong, it's important to know your politics and to, to, to have 
a, a standard in who you vote for and why you vote and all of that. But to say that someone cannot be a Christian because they voted by, according to a man-made system is severely limiting the power of Scripture. But it's also ignoring two major things. It's ignoring the depravity of every heart. Not just the person that disagrees with your personal views, but it's ignoring the depravity that is found in every sinful heart. But it's also ignoring that you are basing your own merit on the actions that you perform. And our hearts are quick to base our own worth and our own righteousness in comparison to the faults of others. Go back and look at the end of of the Pharisee's prayer. He says, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. He's not sharing these things in thankfulness. These are not a result of his adoration of God. He he is sharing these things. He is declaring the things that the religious activities that he's doing because he's trying to bribe God with his spiritual practices. And the funny thing is, these aren't even core essentials of the Christian faith. They're important. Don't get me wrong. Tithing and fasting are important spiritual disciplines that, that a believer can and should do. But when you read through the Scripture, Paul doesn't describe the heart of a Christian by how much or how long they fast. When when you read the the fruit of the Spirit, it's not love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and tithing. Those are important spiritual practices, but they are not the core and the heart of who a Christian should be. And yet this, this Pharisee in the parable is saying, God, look at the good things that I'm doing. I am a holy person. He's actually trying to impress the God of creation, the, the, the infinite God who spoke reality into existence, who didn't just form creation, the God who spoke creation. And the humorous thing about what the Pharisee is saying is he's actually praying, God, look at what I'm giving back to you, what you have already made. Scripture is quite clear that you and I are wholly unable to earn God's favor. In Isaiah 64, verse 6, Isaiah wrote, We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. The best righteousness that we can strive for in our own strength are compared to filthy rags. Our self-righteousness is garbage, according to Scripture. Paul summarizes in Romans 3.10 saying that none is righteous, no, not one. It's not that some people have varying degrees of righteousness and 
the people who do really nice things, well, they're extra special righteous. So, you know, they're, they're okay, but it, the rest of us, or the rest of you guys, you know, got to work on that sin stuff. Paul says, no, no one is righteous, no, not one. Christian, God's favor cannot be bought. Salvation is not a commodity to be traded or purchased because the God of creation cannot be bribed. In fact, prayers such as this might receive some praise, but it's not praise from God, it's praise from others. Jesus Himself says in Matthew 6, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Jesus Himself, the Son of God Himself says, don't be like those people that pray in front of everybody just so that everyone sees them pray because they've already received their reward. They're doing that for the adoration of others. They're not doing that out of a thankfulness or a respect for the holiness of who God is and what He has done. But they're doing that so others can see, look at what good people we are. And Jesus says... They got their reward, but it's not from God. Christian, I I want you to know that praying from a heart motivated by merit is a worthless effort. It's ignoring the sin creeping at the door of your own heart, believing that you can earn God's favor. But thankfully, Christ reveals Instead of a heart motivated by merit, the other option is to pray with a heart motivated by mercy. Going on in verse 13, but the tax collector standing far off would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Now, tax collectors as I said earlier, were often despised within Jewish culture because they were often Jews from that culture working for the Roman government that had invaded their land. And their job was to collect the taxes that Rome was demanding, but they had to make a living too. So if Rome was going to charge 10%, then the tax collector was going to collect 20 so they could keep 10 of that for themselves and pass the other 10 on to Rome. Tax collectors were despised because they were robbing from their own people. And Jesus chose these two examples of men specifically, a religious leader and a tax collector, who is described as standing far off and can't even lift his eyes to heaven because of his shame, and he's beating his chest with the... Jesus is describing him with signs of sorrow and remorse and, and, and repentance. This is a man who recognizes the depravity in his own heart and says, God, have mercy on me. I am a sinner. In fact, the first thing that pops out is it, it, it's, 
such a strong echo of Psalm 51. The psalm that David wrote after his sin with Bathsheba was exposed. And this song that, that David wrote begins, God, be merciful to me. Seeing the wickedness and the depravity and the brokenness in his own heart, his response is to mourn and say, God, please have mercy. And so that's how the tax collector begins his prayer. Knowing the depravity of his own heart, he pleads for mercy, not according to his merit, not according to anything that he has done, but based purely on God's mercy. That is what he is appealing to. He recognizes he has nothing to offer in this exchange. He doesn't try to sugarcoat it. He doesn't try to say, well, God, I just, I made a mistake. I shouldn't have done that. But he recognizes that the condition of his heart is, God, have mercy on me. I am a sinner. And then look at how Jesus describes and summarizes these two prayers. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but everyone who humbles himself will be exalted. According to Jesus, the moral of this story is that the tax collector, the one who is known for being a despised exile within their own community, the tax collector goes home justified, not the religious Pharisee. The tax collector's register has been cleared and his wrongs have been made right. Jesus himself says that praying out of a motivation of merit will lead to your own being humbled. And it might happen here on earth. It might happen later on in eternity. But at some point, the justice of God will humble the proud. But basing your righteousness on merit, recognizing that the best works that you have to offer are filthy rags, those who come humbly before the Lord, He will lift them up. And this is not a new concept. This is not something revolutionary that Jesus was teaching. But throughout Scripture, God's people are told to come humbly before the Lord. In Micah 6.8, He has told you, O man, what is good and what does Yahweh, the living God, the great I Am, demand of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly. Those should be descriptions of how God's people carry themselves. Because the covenant God over all cares about how you treat others, and He cares about how you carry yourself, but He cares about the motivation of your heart. Are you trying to appear good to earn favor for yourself? Are you motivated out of a compassion because of what the Lord 
has done. Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 5, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you. God Himself opposes the proud. Those who come in their own merit and their own ability and their own strength, God opposes the proud. But He gives grace to the humble. He shows mercy and compassion to those who come in humility. And this story... Because that's what it is. It's a story. It's a parable. It's not true. The truths that it tells are true, but Jesus was not describing an actual event that took place. But Jesus is using this parable because it reflects the heart of the listener back upon themselves. That's why we tell stories. That's why stories make such an impact That's why we we read stories to our children, things like uh, Aesop's fables and fairy tales. And and even within contemporary cinema, we as a people love stories and communicating truth through stories because stories sneak past your defenses and invite you to learn something from the characters within and apply that truth to your own heart. And say, see this story? Who are you in that story? And Jesus uses the two men from this story to expose the heart of why you pray. So Christian, why do you pray? When you pray to God, what is the condition of your heart when you pray? When you see what Scripture has to say about this holy God, and the wickedness of your own heart. And not just you, but all. All people. Every man, every woman, all of history, all of creation. What Scripture says about this holy God and the wickedness within the heart of man. When you see what Scripture says about the best works of your ability being filthy rags, when you see Scripture saying that no one is righteous, no, not one. When you see this God who out of His infinite love and mercy who sent His own Son, Jesus Christ, to live within the creation that He Himself made. When you see that Scripture describes this Jesus not as a moral teacher, not just as a philosopher, but as a humble servant who came in obedience to the point of death. When you see the scripture says that on that cross that your nails or that your sins were nailed to the cross with Jesus, that your sins were crucified with him, and that in that exchange that he gave you his righteousness so you could be a holy child of the living God. When you see all of that, are your prayers trying to convince God that you've earned that, that you deserve it? Or do you come in humility like the tax collector saying, God, 
have mercy on me for I am a sinner. I do not deserve that. But that out of your mercy and out of your grace, I will rest in what Jesus Christ has done. Christian, I challenge you to examine your own heart this morning. Are you praying out of a heart that is motivated by merit? Are you trying to look at the things that you do in your life and saying, well, at least my filthy rags aren't as filthy as that guy over there? Desperately trying to bribe God with your accomplishments. Or are you praying out of a heart that is motivated by mercy, recognizing the sinfulness in your own heart and being thankful for the mercy of a God who redeems you by the blood of His Son? What will be your motivation, Christian? Why do you pray? Let us pray right now. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, and God, we confess that far too often we do compare our righteousness and our holiness to others, that we look in others and and we have said, God, thank you that I am not like that guy over there. But God, we thank you that in your mercy and in your compassion, You do not leave us there, but that you sent your Son to redeem us by the power of his blood alone. And so, God, we confess our pride and our arrogance. We confess that far too often we have not come in humility. But we humbly come before you now. God, we say, Have mercy on me. I am a sinner. And let us rest in the work of Jesus Christ alone. Not our effort, not our merit. Let us rest in His work, in His redemption, and in His resurrection. God, let us go out from here. And as we go out into the world, as we go back to our families, as we go to work, to school, and everywhere that we go, Lord, let us go in humility that we would go and do justice and love kindness and that we would walk humbly with our God. And we pray all of this in the victorious name of Jesus Christ, our risen Lord and Savior. Amen.